Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. I'm going to get that gun of mine, and I'm going to change you from a rooster to a hen with one shot. Some people call me a freak. I hate that word. I don't believe in it. Better yet, I don't believe in labels. You know, I think you're the only girl in the world that can stand on a stage with a spotlight in her eye and still see a diamond inside a man's pocket. Because I'm up at five every morning working my ass off. Does someone want to just tell me to my face you're never going to give me the scores I deserve? Hi, this is Anna Smith, and I'm here in the Czech Republic at the beautiful and bustling Karlovy Vary International Film Festival. We just recorded a Girls on Film podcast that you're about to hear. We had a wonderful audience at the fabulous Gviff.tv Park, sponsored by Magnum Ice Cream. My guests were a mix of film critics and female filmmakers. One was the amazing Iranian director Negin Ahmadi, who doesn't speak much English but was beautifully translated by her fab producer Elahe Nobacht. Enjoy. Thank you very much indeed. It's wonderful to be here at Karlovivari. My name's Anna Smith. I am the host of the Girls on Film podcast. So thanks so much to everyone for having us and to Magnum for sponsoring us today. Fantastic. We're going to be speaking to some incredible filmmakers in the show today. But first of all, I'm going to welcome some female film critics who are wonderful writers. Wendy Eyde and Mariah E. Gates, please come on up. So as you can see, Wendy has chosen to match my outfit. This was not planned. Here is Wendy in her lovely blue suit and Mariah in her gorgeous flamingo skirt. Beautiful. Welcome to you both. Thank Thanks you. for having us. It's lovely, to ha- Wendy, to have you back on Girls on Film and Mariah to welcome you for the first time. I, I'm excited. I actually do listen to the podcast. Hooray. So. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. Well, it's really good to actually have you on it. Tell the listeners and the people here a little bit about your work, Mariah, first. Oh, um, I focus on female film filmmakers as well. I wrote write a column uh, monthly for RogerEbert.com where I interview a filmmaker every month. Uh, the column used to be on Movie Phone, where I interviewed a female filmmaker every week. Uh, that was challenging. Not, not to find them, but to find the time. Um, I'm also working on a book tentatively called uh, Cinema Her Way. Cinema Her Way. Excellent. That sounds interesting. It's an interview book, Facebook, with 25 filmmakers. Um, I've done about half the interviews, but they include people like Jane Campion and, I don't know, Betty Gordon and, like, Gillian Armstrong and just people from... The last 40 years. Amazing. It's, it's going to be a lot of work, <laughs> but please read it when, it's, when it comes out. It sounds ideal for us. I can't wait to read that. Wendy, tell people a little bit more about yourself. Uh, well, briefly, I'm here as a trade critic uh, for Screen International, so I'm doing reviews of uh, some of the films here. I also work for The Observer as a consumer critic. So all bases covered, all kinds of film criticism. I'm your, I'm your girl. <laughs> and, you know, being based in the UK, you are one of our regular interviewees, and we've been pleased to have you on the podcast several times before, so it's good to have you back. So let's start talking about what you've seen at Carlo Vivari International Film Festival. I'm going to start with one that I've seen, La Quimera, which is screening here at 9am on Friday the 7th. I want to talk to you both about this film. Wendy, I'm going to start with you. We haven't discussed this yet, because you've only just seen it. I'm going to take a pun, and I feel like this is your kind of film. Am I right? Absolutely. Hooray. Absolutely. I, I really love Alice Rohrwacker's films in general. I think she's got this really interesting way of looking at history as not something that's separate. It's sort of coexisting, and you know, the present and the past are two things which are sort of 
enmeshed together a little bit. And that was certainly true of uh, Happy as Lazaro, and it certainly feels like it is true of this film as well, which has this kind of folkloric feel to it and this sort of earth magic. I, you know, I, I really, really liked it a lot. I loved it too. I think you've, you've captured the atmosphere of it there beautifully. I mean, Mariah, it's a very difficult film to actually describe plot-wise. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what would you say if, if I said, you know, can you describe this film? It's set in the 80s in Tuscany and follows an Englishman who is essentially a grave robber of Etruscan archaeological finds uh, in tombs of all sorts, but also sort of a mystic. He's like a, a water diviner almost, but like a grave diviner. Um, and it, to your point, it's very much like a fable. I think all her films are fables, philosophical and moral and political fables. And Absolutely. There's so much to think about with this film. And this gentleman is played by Josh O'Connor, who will be well known to a lot of our listeners. And some great female characters in this as well, not least played by Isabella Rossellini. She's um, so good, isn't she? I, I just didn't recognize her initially. So that kind of feistiness, I love the, you know, chucking things at people when they displease yeah. her. I love that imperious quality that she brings. She's great fun in this. I think um, hearing her speak Italian, too, was a real treat because as an American, you mostly see her speaking in English. And to hear her speak her, her mother's language, or not her mother's language, her father's language was really beautiful, I feel. And Carol Duarte is really good in this. And I thought, I thought she was a very interesting character. And I love how this film took that character in a direction that you weren't necessarily expecting. She's not objectified in any way. She's sometimes sexy, sometimes funny, sometimes frumpy. And that's kind of the sort of character that I love to see, is that she's got many, many layers. And like the film, you just peel them back and you see more and more. And she also feels, you know, the moral compass of the film as well, because we sort of accept what these people are doing. They're kind of, you know, they're our exciting outlaw sort of characters. And then suddenly she confronts what they're doing and, and says, actually, no, this is not OK. I think, you know, that's a changing point for the male character as well. It's an amazing scene that I would. Yeah. So, I mean, I think we're saying that we would all recommend. Yes, Latinera. absolutely. Yeah. I, I recommend anything Alice has made. Her films are all unmissable. And all very different, even though they thematically link together. And talking of Unmissable, I haven't seen this yet, but I'm told that you've both seen past lives and everybody is raving about this. Mariah, what do you think? This is actually the third festival I've been to that Past Lives has been playing at. I saw it at, at uh, Sundance and I saw it at the Chicago Critics Film Festival. And it is such an emotional film. It's being called a romance and it sort of is, but it's really about connection and the unexpected ways that life diverts and thinking back on what that is and how every single person you've ever met has some history with you. And um, this is a really beautiful film. If two strangers walk by each other in the street and their clothes accidentally brush, that means there have been 8,000 layers of inyan. between them. Want you to stay. Want you to stay. Oh, I'm so excited about this one, Wendy. Are you going to tell me more? Yeah, I mean, t for me, it's it was just one of the sort of discoveries of the year. It, it, it's so strong, so accomplished. It's hard to believe that it's a first feature because, I mean, just thinking about the opening sequence, which starts and you're watching three characters from a distance, the three central characters, who are in a bar having a conversation, one of them slightly left out, and it's being 
they're being discussed by two other people who we can't see. And you kind of assume that the characters who we can hear are the central characters. But it's not. It's, you know, the three characters who we're watching. And I think that's such a, a brave and, and kind of playful way to introduce the film, to sort of have that bait and switch right at the beginning. She's a real talent. I love that. I actually got so chills as you described that. Thank you. That was really vivid. And it just sounds like, as you say, a magical way to open a film. There are a lot of great films on at this festival. Wendy, what else has caught your attention? Well, I'm a big fan of a film called The Girls Are All Right, Las Chicas Esta Bien, which is, I think, a very kind of playful, formally interesting film. It's one of those things that you, you read the, the description and you think, this could be absolutely terrible. It's about a group of actresses and a director who go for a week in the country and they rehearse and they talk. And I thought, this might be insufferable, but... It has a real magic to it. It has sort of a lightness of touch. It has a real grace, and it handles some quite sort of weighty themes, bereavements, you know, but does it with a real kind of grace and sensitivity. Plus, it's also just a beautiful piece of female filmmaking, which is all about kind of texture and, and touch and tactile qualities. It's, it's really lovely, I thought. Wonderful recommendation. Have you seen that one yet? No, I'm actually seeing it this afternoon. So I was already really hyped. And then to hear Wendy talk about it, I'm like, oh, I'm going to love this film. I think maybe I need to go (laughs) and see it this afternoon as well. Real hype. Perfect. Mariah, you picked out one um, called Blackbird, Blackbird, Blackberry, which Mm -hmm. actually we've got a clip from. So should we have a little watch of a clip from that? And then you can tell us about it. That looks oh, absolutely brilliant. I love this film. That um, actress, I'm going to butcher it. Her name is Ek- Eka Shavlishli. I hope I said that right. She's Georgian. The film is Georgian. And um, she's this. You know, she's 48 years old. She's lived alone ever since her father and her brother have died. And she is a very sensual person, but not in a sexual way at the as the film begins, she's a sensual person. She loves blackberries. She loves food. She takes all her pleasures in in the, those sorts of tactile things, and which really reminded me of another Georgian film called My Happy Family, which was the opposite, where it was a married woman who got her own apartment and found pleasure in eating cake. And I feel like they're in conversation with each other in two different ways of looking at liberated, independent women in this country that was so masculine and she's a real revelation in this she's so aware of who she is as a person and what she wants from life and it's one of those films where you're just watching her stand by herself and it's, it's amazing a great great recommendation and um, we love the georgian film that was here last year a room of my own so it's great to see more kind of female-led work coming out of georgia that's almost all we've got time for in this section but any other titles of films that you want to throw out to the audience before I go let you go I, I would like to just flag up um, The Mother of All Lies which is a really interesting sort of semi-documentary it's almost like a kind of part an art installation part group therapy part history lesson and it's Moroccan and it's a film where they kind of recreate a neighbourhood and then use that as a way of exploring the history of uh, the kind of architecture of memories so 
really, really interesting. I agree. I've seen that. That's mm. well worth a watch. Thank you, Wendy. Um, my final suggestion is called Slow. It's, I believe, a Lithuanian film that I saw at Sun also at Sundance. And it's another one that's just really about two people who know exactly who they are and try to form a life together, but are still so very independent. And it's, it's really interesting. Love it. Yeah. Thank you so much. And so many more days to go and fun here at Kolvivari. Lovely to see you both. Please both come back on the podcast and stay with us, if you will, before our next Yes. Session. Thanks okay. for having us. Thanks a lot. So my next guest is the producer of a film that's showing here. It's called Dancing on the Edge of a Volcano. She's also the producer of a film called Costa Brava Lebanon, among others. Please welcome Miriam Sassine. Hello. Hello. Welcome to Girls on Film. Thank you, Anna. Thank you so much uh, for joining us. Congratulations on your film. I've uh, been fortunate enough to see it. It's very powerful. For the people in the audience that haven't seen Dancing on the Edge of a Volcano, can you briefly explain it, the setup? Because it's quite a complicated setup, isn't it? Yes, hard to sum it up in a few words. Uh, Dancing on the Edge of a Volcano follows the um, after the explosion that happened in, in Beirut on the 4th of August 2020. There's a film crew that had already started working on a feature film that found itself stuck between the choice about continuing to make the film while the whole city and the country was collapsing or whether like just to focus and move forward and keep shooting the film. So dancing follows this dilemma and also uh, follows up on the country's situation and at the same time uh, follows this question about like making art in times of crisis and how relevant it is. You're right, it covers so many different topics. It's a film about filmmaking, it's a film about female filmmakers and it's a film about very dramatic things happening and devastating things that are happening. I find it very moving and there's a moving clip coming up. Could you explain a little to the audience what they're about to see in this clip? Yeah, the, uh, this clip, it's the first time that the director sees the two actresses who play sisters in the film. One of them is older and the second is younger. And it's the first time she talks to them and so she starts to talk to them about like the aftermath of the explosion and then ask them to improvise a scene. And one of the older actresses become like very emotional because it, it revives like the trauma of the explosion and also uh, a friend of hers passed away uh, during. حنوله نحن من الدولة انخفض هيك فكرت انه رايحين على تيتا فقالت لها ماما فوضى هزيبه فكرت تيتا كوكا تيتا سن الفيل اه فكرت لان مامي قالت لها فوضى هزيبه فكرت انه طبخ اغراضكم عيدت انا هون فتحت الخزانه جيت تهزيب الثيابه طلع قعدوا على التخت قلت له تعطى تضبط ثيابنا There must have been so many incredible emotions for everyone involved in the making of both the film that we see being made and this film itself. At the end of it all, how did you feel? What were your reflections on this undertaking, this enormous undertaking? I feel like I was in a completely different state of mind when I was actually making the film and, and today, like when we were working on it, the time in 2020, it was like really 
in our minds, me and the filmmaker and the crew, like it, it felt like the most important thing on earth. Like we thought like we need to make this film at any cost. Like if we don't make it, it's gonna be the end of the world, etc. Today when I rewatch Dancing on the Edge of the Volcano, I feel okay, maybe we were like in a state of <laughs> like I don't know, high shock or, or, or a state of denial or there was something that was like driving us forward that doesn't seem quite rational. And today I feel like, okay, maybe that was not really, like if we did, hadn't made the film, the world wouldn't have collapsed. But at the time it really felt like our survival instincts kicked in and we felt like we needed to not be stopped, you know, but, but what the country was going through. Well, we see this in the film, the determination, and I was very, you know, moved by the sort of comradeship that we see on screen and that community of, of filmmakers coming together. Do you think that kind of determination somehow just came, was came out of the desperation of the situation in a way? For sure, the desperation of the situation, uh, it made us like very united. The team... We've been working together for a while. We've been working together for 2017 because making films in Lebanon anyway is very difficult. There's no public funding. And so making a film takes a long time. And so when we were finally there, you know, and very happy to start, this explosion happened and it really like shocked us right before there was a collapse of the banking system, the, the whole savings uh, of people were gone and the money of the film, part of the budget was stuck in the bank. So we were already dealing with a crisis and that came that really blew our minds. And so somehow we felt we needed to come together and uh, like comfort each other. And this like, collective dream became a sort of collective therapy for everyone. Like everyone felt like, okay, if I wake up in the morning and go do this shoot and make this film happen, in the end I will feel there's results, like something came out of this hard period. You mentioned that it's difficult to make films in Lebanon anyway. Um, what about the additional challenges for female filmmakers? I personally feel, I don't feel very challenged as a, as a female filmmaker in Lebanon, but I think it's because there's no really film industry and sometimes the whole filmmaking sector is like neglected so there are no stakes like you don't make money making films so anyway like women or men can do it there are no like struggle of power uh, so uh, we have like a lot of women working in film in Lebanon from directors to producers cinematographers sound designers there are maybe more women than men also because maybe men went to uh, let's say the jobs that are more serious and that make more money. Wow, that, that's so interesting because most nationalities that we speak to, that is not the case. So that's very, that's a very interesting, but not for the best reasons, as you suggest. Yeah. So Dancing on the Edge of a Volcano premieres at Carl Ovivari this evening. What would you like audiences to take away from this film? Wow, that's a difficult one. Um... For me, I'm, I'm very excited and a bit, you know, afraid of uh, the reactions tonight because it's a very personal film. Like, I produced it, but I'm also in it somehow. Uh, so I, I think this sharing this part of the journey is something I want to share, like sharing how, what we went through in the country, but also, like, the struggle to make films and sharing also that passion for cinema that we find in festivals like here and in film festivals. So maybe sharing this part of the keep dreaming, 
despite like all difficulties. I think you're going to have a wonderful night tonight. I think it's going to be very moving and I think a lot of the filmmakers and the audiences here are really going to find this film really resonates with them. So have a great night and thank you so much, Miriam, for joining us today. My final guests um, have been working on a film called Dreams Gate, which is also showing here. Please welcome Elaha Lomabakt and Negin Amadi. Hello to you both. How are you? Uh, hello. hello. Uh, we are happy, we are here, and we are fine. <laughs> Good. Would you like to introduce yourselves to the audience and tell them a little bit more about both of yourselves? Yeah. Uh, my name is Ella Henobacht, and I'm the producer of Film Dreamscape, a feature documentary. And I'm working in Iran independently for Iranian cinema more than 16 years. I produced six feature films and this is the second time I'm in Carlo Vivari with my film and I'm so happy because this time my director she's a woman so we are celebrating here and then we are listening to you yes welcome Nagin I mean obviously I know you I've seen the film so I know who you are for people who haven't had the privilege of seeing the film yet we're about to see the trailer so can you tell us a little bit more about it um, hello, I'm very happy to be here. My film is about the strong women. I mean, that who in the very, in the most important time of the world, they decide to, to be in the war, not in the backstage of the war and be hidden um, in the back of their men. And uh, they wanted to be inside of the war fighting and uh, fighting for their life and freedom. It's a really extraordinary film. These incredibly young women decide they want to fight for what they believe in. And we'll see from the trailer now what we're talking about. Let's have a look at the trailer. That was powerful stuff. Elaha, we see obviously the seriousness of the territory in the trailer there. But I was struck by when you're watching the film, and again, um, at the beginning, we see lots of laughter, and we see the girls bonding, and we see them, it's almost like it's an adventure for them. Um, and that captures that spirit of their youth, and then we see the cost. Um, was that journey something that you both discussed and something that you felt was an important kind of structure? Uh, my life has been divided in two parts. Before going to Syria and this... Uh, difficult uh, time of the war and after that uh, it was like I was confused between the I mean that that was the border for me between the reality and dream is that true are they fighting am I here 
And I mean that, yeah, every day I was there and I was living with them and discovering that strange uh, region. Uh, so for me, that was a very painful time because for the uh, same time, I have to direct, I have to record because I didn't have the cinematographer. I have to be take care of myself. And unfortunately, the painful time was in a second when I just come back, I saw that my friends, they have been killed. So for me, that was the most painful time in my life. I felt that life is empty, but two or three months after I, I came back from Syria, I felt that I, I'm going to miss that. I'm, and how the human, they can be complicated with the situation, with the specific situation. So for me, that was the very specific journey in my life. And I learned about that and I was someone else after coming back to Iran. Well, thank you, Nagin, for sharing that and for sharing this film because it is so moving and so powerful. And Elahi, I wanted to talk to you as a producer, the challenges for you in making a film like this and getting this funded, distributed, low budget, as we've heard. Yeah, as you know, it's very difficult, like impossible if you wanted to make a film in Iran without any uh, support. So same as my other projects, first time she came to me, I was like, it is difficult because I have other three other projects. But I start working on that and introducing the film into the board with other co-producers and at the end the editing of this film it took two years because it was very difficult because we have to be careful about the ideology with you know because as you know we are living in Iran and they had a specific ideology we didn't want it to support them and same time we didn't want it to deny them we just wanted to show that the lost identity their dreams their beliefs among the war about women and their insight feeling, their suffering, what was the reason they came there. So for me, that was like a very specific journey for me too. But same time, uh, that was a unique experience, uh, not only in terms of the cost and the production, but also as a sensitive film in the Middle East. Are there any particular scenes in the film that we've seen the trailer, but ones that are particularly memorable for either of you that you want to pick out? Uh, to be honest, each part of the film was something amazing and unique to me. But for me, the time when we were dancing together, trying to be happy, making food together. But immediately, the day after that, we have to go. We found ourselves in the middle of war. I didn't find even myself where I am. And uh, for me, this type of challenges was extraordinary. And not only for me, even, even for them as the two completely different sides of the life. And that really comes across in the film. And I love that even though we don't speak the language, I see her face light up when she speaks of the happy things and I know what she means. <laughs> I want to talk a little bit more about, you know, women in your sphere in filmmaking. What is the balance like? Are there extra challenges for you in your, in your world uh, in terms of opportunities, in terms of funding? Yeah, in, in our country, Iran, uh, not only for women, but actually for uh, men, uh, making uh, film independently, as I told you, is, it's it's the most difficult thing to do. But as a women, we are more focused. We have to, to think about how we can talk about our beliefs and our stories. So these are the rules which we are struggling every day from our childhood, which is the difficult part of our job. What are you working on next? What else can we look up forward to? Uh, we, are continuing, we are continuing making film uh, about women, about social issues, about families. And we believe that there are many stories in Middle East that they need us to, to think about it and we have to make film about them. So we wanted to, despite of all the problems which we have in our country, we wanted to continue 
again independently and try to be effective and have effective voice through the festivals in the world because these are the only opportunities we do have. Do you feel that you kind of have to be a spokesperson in a way as well as a producer in your job because it's so important what you're dealing with, right? Exactly, exactly. This is what I'm trying to do to have a better voice for our films and what our directors are doing in this difficult time of our country. If you could leave our audience and the audience here with a message or a couple of messages, what would it be, both of you? Uh, please, uh, I wanted to invite you to discover the families, people, and especially in Middle East through the documentaries, through the reality of their life, maybe, and they're much more effective and real than the media, which we really need. We need other people around the world to, to see, to see what we are doing. Man, I really wish just to not talk about or think about a director and producer and festivals. We do, I do hope that through these great opportunities which we have right now in this festival, we can think, we should think about these brave people, but sometimes very weak, and to think about how they are living every day and how they need us. They need us to talk about them, to see them and not forget them because they, are, they have been stopped by, by governments, by politics, by... We really wanted to be their voice and we invite you to at least see them and uh, listen to them. Well, I think your film, Dreamsgate, is a very compelling message from that. Um, it really, I think if you watch that, you will get that. And I hope it continues to play. I know it's playing very well here at Kviff, and I hope it continues to. And thank you both so much for joining Girls on Film. Thank you. Thank it's been you a real so much pleasure. Thank you for having us here. Thank you. Of course. Thank you. Now, we've come to a section where we ask the audience to ask questions of myself or my guests. Is there a question at the front there? This is a question for Nagin. This is your first time at, with a film at the festival. What have you learned from sort of a festival experience that you could take away? We had the world premiere of this film in Berlin, and that was the first experience of being and seeing the film with the audiences. She said that, I always prefer to sit in the last row of the cinema and just look at the audiences, their faces, how do they feel, and if, if they are watching something which is beautiful, they are enjoying or laughing or painful, or sometimes they are crying, or they touch the audiences, and how can I say, when, when I can bring bring the reality in a very creative way to my audiences. This is the specific moment I said, I'm done my job. And, and I talk with them after that and I learned from them, from their feedbacks and it helps me for my next film. Thank you, that's lovely. If there's no more questions, I actually have some questions for the audience. I'd love to know, has anyone else seen any great films they would recommend? We've talked about quite a lot up here already. Inside the Yellow Cocoon, um, which is this tremendous film about grief and dualism in um, Vietnam, yes. And it's just so visually enrapturing and kind of just a, a wonderful slow burn odyssey, a personal odyssey through, um, like I said, through, through loss and grief in a way that was, um, um, that has still stuck with me and, sh and shaken me since I've seen the film. Wow, that's an amazing recommendation. Thank you so much. Any other recommendations? Guy Lodge here we have, the esteemed critic. Um, well, there's, I know it's screening later at the festival here. The, the, this year's Palm Door winner from Cannes, which is 
I believe the, the third female director ever to win the award, Justine Trier, and her new film, Anatomy of a Fall, which is an amazing, what seems like a courtroom drama, but it goes much deeper than that into a woman accused of killing her husband and kind of delving into her role as a wife, as a mother, as an artist herself, and how she's kind of seen by the legal system and, and judged on that basis. And I think it's an amazing and very powerful film. And then a, a great film that has a male director, but two female producers, uh, Mary Burke and Juliette Lath, in camera, which is a new British debut by Nakash Khalid, which is uh, kind of breaks down a, a young actor's kind of identity crisis of, over the process of various kind of failed auditions and facing the kind of racial discrimination of the, the indie film industry. And I, it's, it was a world premiere here uh, yesterday or the day before, and I think it's amazing. In camera, thank you, Guy. Yes, I'm hearing such a great buzz about that film, so thanks for adding that one to my list. And Anatomy of a Fall, I absolutely adored in Cannes. Amazing central female performance. And it also won the Palm Dog Award, which I'm a judge for in Cannes, so the best canine performance. Um, so I think that's time to wrap things up here. Thank you all so much for joining me today. I've got a number of thank yous on behalf of the team at Girls on Film. First of all, a massive thank you to Kalavivari International Film Festival for partnering with us on this. Thank you to Tatiana, Katerina, to Petra, to everyone, all the team. Thank you so much to Magnum for sponsoring this. We couldn't have done this without you, and I'm so excited to go and get my ice cream after this. And of course, a round of applause once again for all my guests, Wendy Ide, Mariah E. Gates, Miriam Sassin, Elahan Nobagat, and Nagin Amadi. Round of applause for them, please. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to Girls on Film. The 57th Kalovivari International Film Festival runs until Saturday the 8th of July 2023. You can see pictures of our trip across Girls on Film social media, including photos of our guests and of me creating my own custom-made magnum. You can find out more about the films we spoke about today in the show notes, and we'll let you know when they're on general release. Girls on Film is an HLA production brought to you by executive producer Hedda Archibald, Assistant Producer, Eleanor Hardy. Audio Editor, Emma Butt. Our partners for this episode, Karlovivari International Film Festival. And our sponsors for this episode, Magnum Ice Cream. I'm Anna Smith. I'll be back soon. Thank you. It's wonderful. Yeah. You should be very proud. <laughs>